Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. This week on Women on the Line, we bring you a selection of interviews from 3CR Community Radio's Breakfast Current Affairs presenters, Ayan Shirwa, Rashida Banama and Ruby Schwartz. We'll hear Ayan speak with Lara Watson about the First Nations Workers' Alliance and then interview Nyumba Gandangyu, convener and cultural advisor from the Yolngu Nations Assembly, about the impact of more than 10 years of the Northern Territory emergency response. We'll also hear Rashida speaking with Jenny Smith, CEO to the Council to Homeless Persons, about NIMBYism in relation to social housing, and Ruby interview Hannah McCann, lecturer in Gender Studies at the University of Melbourne, about a feminist Wikipedia editathon. Women on the Line would like to acknowledge that this episode was produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. First, this is Ayan speaking with Lara Watson from the First Nations Workers' Alliance. So Lara, can you tell us about the First Nations Workers' Alliance and why it was established? The First Nations Workers' Alliance is essentially a union for workers that are on the community development program. And how it came about was we had Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members that actually raised their concerns around the program with the ACTU Indigenous Committee. Mm. And at the same time, we had community development program workers raising their issues around the program with unions in and around their area. So while it took a little while to actually get it together to make sure we had everything in place, it is there for... Um, community development program workers. Yeah. Um, it gives them an avenue to have their voice heard, particularly in the federal space and in government that actually oversee the program. Right. So it's not necessarily so much that there was something lacking in the ACTU. It's just that the First Nation yeah. Workers Alliance is more specific and targeted towards the Indigenous community. Yes, because community development program workers are not considered workers under the Fair Work Act. So therefore, they didn't have a union that covered them. So we basically had to create a union for them and to give them the voice. Yeah. And can you tell us a bit about the community development program? Because I've read in the papers how there's the belief that it unfairly targets Indigenous workers. Can you speak to us about that? Yeah. Well, we actually feel that it is racially discriminatory. When you look at the participants on the Community Development Program, or CDP, as people like to call it, out of the 35,000 that are on the program, 33,000 are Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander. When we do a comparison between remote with CDP and non-remote with work for the doll, there's some clear discrepancies as well. So if you're under CDP, you're being forced to work 25 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. Whereas non-remote areas doing work for the doll, they average around 15 hours a week for six months of the year. And if they're over 49 years of age, then it's voluntary to participate. So we don't have any of that voluntary status within community development program or within remote communities. We are finding that CDP, they're 70 times more likely to be financially penalised 
mm. or lose their welfare payments. And we're finding workers that are doing work or jobs that are wage jobs anywhere else in the country except for under CDP. Mm. So the union, the First Nations Workers Alliance, that's there to essentially support workers who might be affected by the CDP. Um, what type of services and support do you provide to the workers? So the First Nation Workers Alliance um, will give support to CDP workers in communities. It's about giving them a voice in the federal space so when it comes to the federal government and actually them being able to speak to politicians on their concerns around the program. There is a campaign that will get up and running and will be driven by community development workers to actually end the current CDP and have something in place that actually supports workers, Mm. um, actually trains them and skills them and has that employment component at the end of the program and that there is self-determination and community control around the program. But we also want to offer skills and resources and training on what it means to be a member of a union and how you actually run campaigns. Mm. And for those listening who are First Nation people and would love support, how can they join the Alliance? Where do they sign up? What's the application process like? So we have for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers that are waged, mm-hmm. um, they do have to be a member of their union to join the First Nation Workers Alliance. And same, we have a little supporters membership as well for non-Indigenous trade unionists. And we have a, a union, I guess, membership as well So CDP workers, it's their union, so there's no charge to them. It's free to join the First Nation Workers Alliance. We do have a website where people can join online, which is the fnwa.org.au. But we also know that in remote communities, there is either limited access or no access to the internet or to a computer. So certainly they can contact us and we will go out to communities. So we actually wait for an invitation before we venture out. So if we've got CDP workers and community members that don't like the program and want more information on the First Nation Workers Alliance, if they contact the ACTU or the First Nation Workers Alliance, we will actually go out and see them. We'll come to them. That sounds amazing. And we will put up all the information, the links that you've mentioned on both our Facebook page and the 3CR website. Thank you for joining us today. today. No, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. I know know you're busy and you're probably travelling at this point. I am travelling. I'm actually in Perth at the moment. But we've had a call out from CDP workers in the Pilbara and throughout Western Australia. So that's why I've come over to Perth to have a chat to unions about offering support and getting out into communities to be able to... So CDP can access First Nation Workers Alliance. That's all good. Don't mind the travel considering the work I'm doing. Excellent. Great work. Love your work. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. That was 3CR Breakfast Current Affairs presenter Ayan speaking with Lara Watson from the First Nations Workers Alliance. For more information about the First Nations Workers Alliance, you can visit fnwa.org.au or contact the ACTU. 
Next, we'll hear Ayan speaking with Nyumba Gandangyu from the Yolngu Nations Assembly about the impact of more than 10 years of the Northern Territory emergency response. Nyumba Gandangyu from the Yolngu Nations Assembly is the National Assembly's convener and cultural advisor. 2017 marks the 10-year anniversary since the creation of the Northern Territory National Emergency Response. I had the privilege to chat to Numba Gadangu from the Yulunju Nations Assembly about self-determination and why it's important for the government to engage and maintain relationships with the local community. Good afternoon, Numba. Good afternoon, Yan. Thank you so much for travelling all the way from the Northern Territories to come and chat to us about your community. Can you tell us how the community has been coping since the intervention? Um, how community has been coping through that intervention was really hard and a lot of struggles. Um, it took everything from us and took, um, took the power and didn't even negotiate it with the elder people and with the community. It just came and took everything in our community, and it's not healthy for us. Absolutely not. What would you like to see um, for the future of your community? Uh, The future that we need to see and the hope that we need to find is to come and sit with our elderly people and talk about what is the best uh, future and our vision, because we are people of vision. We are people that we have a very good um opportunity for our young people for our children that is coming along and that's what we need to see any government any people from various departments has to come and sit and talk with us so we need to have a good communication as a human being. Sure. And if the government agencies and the rest of Australia, um, uh, if they were to sit right in front of you at this moment, what would you want them to know about your community? What they need to know about our community, we need to strengthen our, um, our ability to strengthen up our power and our people, because we are the people who we are. We are people from the country where we belong. And we've got um, ability that we need to stand with our own voice and with our own power and to be recognized by the government that we need to see something a good changes for our future. Not to take everything from us, 
but we need to see a support. That's all that I'm talking from my heart. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. We understand that you've traveled so far to share with us how your community feels and why you believe it's important for the government to talk to you and not make decisions for you. Yes. That was 3CR Breakfast Current Affairs presenter Ayan speaking with Nyumba Gandangu, convener and cultural advisor from the Yongu Nations Assembly about the ongoing impact of the Northern Territory emergency response. Women on the Line. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. This week, we're bringing you a selection of current affairs coverage from 3CR Community Radio's Breakfast Current Affairs presenters. Now we'll hear 3CR presenter Rashida speaking with Jenny Smith, CEO to the Council of Homeless Persons. Joining us now is Jenny Smith, the CEO of the Council to Homeless Persons. We're going to discuss the issue of NIMBYism in relation to social housing and its impact on homelessness in Melbourne. And NIMBY stands for Not In My Backyard and refers to local residents protesting against developments in the area. So could you tell us more about the NIMBY issue in Melbourne? Well, I think everybody in the community is aware that we've got a growing problem with homelessness at the moment and uh, you know we can see it on our streets and it's pretty confronting that when we think that rough sleeping is only about 7% of the you know 105,000 people at least that we have homeless in Australia tonight uh, but it is a group of people who are likely to have higher needs and I think you also, most people are aware that we've uh, really dropped the ball in relation to developing social housing for those of us on the very lowest of incomes. And we've dropped that ball over the last uh, 30 or so years. So it, it's no surprise that we've got, uh, you know, around um, 35,000 people on our public housing waiting list here in Victoria and, uh, you know, close to 200,000 people around the country. And our state government is doing a huge amount to create housing for people. Women and children escaping family violence has been a particular focus, but also for rough sleepers. And they've got about 6,000 additional properties in train that should turn up over the next four financial years. But that's for that group in the city, a significant proportion are going to need additional support once they have housing, to keep that housing. And that's why this idea of providing support and the government has found uh, public land in, uh, in uh, I think, five sites and I think we're already aware that Preston is one and Brighton is another where a small cluster of portable dwellings, uh, but, you know, those quite high-quality demountables uh, that you see in place for a significant period of time with support staff available to support people who will have a history of mental illness uh, and needing support to maintain their mental health as well as rough sleeping. And this is essentially what we need to do. We need to be providing uh, low-cost housing for people with the most complex needs right through our community. I think the ideal model is uh, what I call salt and peppering it, but you know, making sure that we probably all have in our neighbourhood someone who is struggling more than we are with life and the support 
systematic support that they needed and that's what uh, our state government is doing and it really uh, needs us to get behind it and support it, not saying, well, that's all very well, but not in my backyard. That's right. And homeowners claim that social housing will make their properties fall in value. But there is no evidence <clears throat> supporting that. It could be argued that the real reason is they don't want to mix with the people who will fill those um, social housing. Do you think this is the case? Well, I think it's uh, coming at it from the wrong end. I think we part of the problem with increasing poverty in community in our community and the increasing gap between uh, those who are well off and increasing numbers of people who aren't well off, the housing market is what is underpinning uh, that problem. It's not the only problem, but it's a key problem in that the cost of housing is going up you know, so many more times at such a high rate compared to uh, wages and particularly the lowest wages. So actually, you know, talking about property values going down is something that we all need to think about. We've all got to tackle our addiction to those people with mortgages, to the value of that property going up disproportionately to everything else. Uh, to be a healthy community, we need to have people of all abilities and skills living together, not enclaves of, you know, advantage and disadvantage. And so I think it's really coming at it from the completely wrong angle to be talking about uh, minor property adjustments if people see some aspect of the neighbourhood being affected by people with disadvantage. Nearly everybody's talking about the housing problem, the housing crisis, and I think everybody is aware of and disturbed by the number of people without a home uh, that they're seeing on our streets and in our parks. And, and even the federal government is speaking quite articulately about the problem and also talking about what the solutions need to be. But what we need to be very clear about is absolutely nothing is happening at the federal level. At the federal level, the funding that is already out there for our public housing and our support services is constantly under review and while Treasurer Morrison has reassured us that the money we have already out there for public housing and support services will be continued, it's about to be bundled up into a new agreement and there's always the opportunity for trying to spend it on things other than what it's currently being spent on which will create significant problems. So we you know, are calling for a federal conceptualisation of the problem and a plan and an action plan and a commitment to doing the myriad. You know, there's about 15 really important things we need to do simultaneously to tackle this problem. We've got to deal with capital gains tax and negative gearing, which are not helping. We need state governments to commit to every time we do uh, development or redevelopment, making sure there's some low-cost housing. You know, is there low-cost housing in a fisherman's bend redevelopment? Uh, not yet. We need governments to recognise that through the last 30 or 40 years of absolute plenty in this country that the private sector has not developed housing for the low end of the market and that will always remain a government responsibility and we've got to put our shoulders to the wheel about that. I think there's an awareness that the problem is big and that we need to do it, but I think there's also an increasing feeling that this is a, a wicked problem and it's too hard. But it's not too hard, and if we don't do it, we're going to have a very divided community with some very significant internal problems.
That was 3CR Breakfast Current Affairs presenter Rashida speaking with Jenny Smith, CEO to the Council to Homeless Persons, about NIMBYism in relation to social housing. For our last interview on the show today, we'll hear 3CR Breakfast Current Affairs presenter Ruby speak with Hannah McCann. I'm Ruby Schwartz, and today I'm at a Wikipedia Editathon at the University of Melbourne. Here to discuss this event with me is Hannah McCann. Hannah is a lecturer in gender studies at the University of Melbourne and was on the organising committee of this Wiki Editathon. Hannah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> so, first, I just wanted to ask you know, what is this Wikipedia Editathon? What are we doing here today? So we were inspired by an event that the University of Sydney put on, which was to uh, have a day where you teach people the skills to become Wikipedia editors, particularly to address the gender gap that's on Wikipedia. So that gender gap is the fact that out of all of the biographies that are on Wikipedia, only 17% are women, which is a pretty significant gap. But also the majority of the editors on Wikipedia, 90% are male. So, you know, both the people editing Wikipedia aren't women and the people on Wikipedia aren't women. Mm. So why do you think there is a massive underrepresentation both of articles about women on Wikipedia, but why are also, you know, men the main contributors as well? I think that's quite a, a difficult question to be able to answer. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of factors going on. But in terms of the content on women... One of the issues is that Wikipedia relies on sources that are already published online about women. For example, if you want to write a biography on a woman. So um, because of the historical lack of information about women, this is a kind of self-reinforcing problem. Obviously, when women's studies started in the academy during second wave feminism in the late 1960s, it was one of the things that academics, you know, feminist academics wanted to address was the fact that in our academy there had been this gap around women's knowledge and history of women in general. So that's kind of been the task of women's studies since the very beginning and now we're in this new digital age and we've got the same problem happening again. Mm. And also you mentioned earlier that men are the main contributors why do you think that is? I don't know how to answer that really but I think that it probably has to do with the assumptions that we have about the skills that men versus women should and do have and so it's like the underrepresentation of women in STEM disciplines there's an assumption that those are male skills it's about rationality it's about technology and therefore uh, women are not only discouraged from entering and being part of those spaces, but, you know, don't, don't necessarily believe that that's where they should be contributing. And, and again, that's a self-reinforcing thing because these communities emerge that are gendered and then that can create barriers to inclusion. And is that a woman that you've kind of seen that isn't on Wikipedia that you've tried to enter in? Is that, you know, particularly interesting example that you can tell us about? So actually when I was practicing my Wikipedia skills before this event, I chose a DJ who I follow in the US and um, I thought she was quite notable but, and I was very excited to create her page but it turned out that she wasn't considered notable enough and the page got deleted almost instantly. 
So that was a shame. And I think what's really interesting is that a lot of the uh, citations I was using to prove her notability were women's magazines and other things that would be considered in terms of Wikipedia policy gossip columns about celebrities. Now, I think that in itself is pretty gendered because that is not considered to be notable or important information, but obviously in gender studies, we've worked hard to critique that particular view of popular culture and and women who who are celebrities and, you know, who have a lot of influence. Yeah, so, so you've mentioned there the kind of the Wikipedia guidelines and policies that, you know, dictate who is and who is not notable. Can you tell us just a bit more about that, you know, what counts as notable, what doesn't, and do you have any issues with that? So one of the really great things about Wikipedia is that there is a lot of information about how to create pages. So there are guidelines that explain notability to you and it breaks it down by category. So in the example that I just gave, there is a category for entertainers that says, you know, what makes a notable entertainer? And there's a, there's a few things. That one of them is cult status, which is quite hard to measure, but also quite hard to prove if you're not allowed to use particular kinds of sources. So for each different kind of page and category that you would be referring to, there's different guidelines. And you know, again, that could be gendered because you look at something like sporting persons and there's different criteria for notability, which from my brief foray into looking at that seemed quite gendered. I mean, in the sense that, you know, there was pages about the local A-grade team in New Zealand men's rugby, but I couldn't put this um, female DJ up. So, you know, just even having a differentiation between popular culture and sport in terms of notability, I thought that was pretty gendered. Definitely. And so obviously increasing the representation of women on Wikipedia is really important, but do you think that we should also be trying in these kinds of events to change the nature of the content about women on Wikipedia? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I think the first thing that people can do is become a Wikipedia contributor. So sign up, try and get some information. There's lots on Wikipedia about how to create pages and you can create a draft without having to kind of scarily upload it into the real internet. So I think the first step really before we start another kind of intervention is to get involved in the community and to have an impact in that way. I think that there is a lot of space for the academic community to be taking a serious look at Wikipedia and I know that there are already some people who are doing this and writing articles about it as uh, you know, a space where we might need to challenge some of those rules and we might need to think about how they're embedded not only with possibly gender bias but racial bias, gender diversity bias and other kind of factors that we have to grapple with in the world, not just Wikipedia. But the other thing is, you know, to see this as a really crucial source of information for a lot of people and not just something that we should have disdain towards because it's not very reliable. In fact, a lot of work goes into making sure that it is reliable. I'm wondering as well, are a lot of these kind of Wikipedia editathons held around the world or like where did this idea originate? Oh, I don't actually know where it started, but certainly, yes, there are Wikipedia editathons happening across the world for this very same reason, often focused on questions of gender. 
And already in organising this event, we've had people from across Australia contact us and ask us for information on how we were going to run the day because they want to put on similar events. So we really hope that people go away from this day and feel encouraged to maybe hold a day in their local area and, um, and at the very least continue being an active contributor online. Hannah, thank you so much for speaking with us today about this really amazing event. Thank you so much. That was Hannah McCann, lecturer in Gender Studies at the University of Melbourne, talking about a Wikipedia editathon. That was 3CR Breakfast Current Affairs presenter Ruby. For more information about that event, you can search for Researchers Wikipedia Editathon at the University of Melbourne. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>